You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. And so we've come through Advent and Christmas, and now we are in Christmas tide or the 12 days of Christmas until we enter into the season of Epiphany. And so we're going to dwell in this birth story of Jesus. And so we read from Matthew 1. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will, be, uh, he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her, but but he did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. Now to enter into this time and this place and this culture where Mary and Joseph find themselves, Uh, We have to understand this honor-shame culture, this collective culture that they find themselves where the law heavily favors men, and women are treated more as property than humans made in the image of God. The Christmas story, though, centers women. It honors them and challenges the law, or as Jesus might say, it fulfills the law. It brings the law forward. Or as Jesus might say, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you, the law now is love. And so God is pulling humanity forward. He's fixing systems of injustice. He's fixing the results of the fall, like power structures, inequity, death, and sin. And it's as if the law of Moses was put in place to pull humanity forward, to accomplish something. And now in this new thing that God is doing, it's time to take another step forward. And in the story, women and shepherds are the first into that next step forward. And so to understand this honor-shame culture... And the shame that Mary would face. We need to understand the law that Mary and Joseph and their collective culture knew and lived by. And so let's look at this law that might have come into Mary's mind. The law that Joseph, a righteous law-abiding man, knew would be applied in this situation. A situation where a woman was engaged and then she was found to be not a virgin. And it's found in Deuteronomy 22. And it says, but suppose the man's accusations are true. And he can show the evidence that there was not, that she was not a virgin. The woman must be taken to the door of her father's house. And there the men of the town must stone her to death. For she has committed a disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while still living in her parents' home. In this way, you will purge this evil from you. And so in our text, Joseph did not want to disgrace her publicly. Right? He wanted to engage the Uh, in the engagement quietly. Now, he could have placed all the blame on Mary according to this law, and, and Joseph would have faced no shame. So the struggle for this man who follows the law, the struggle is real. And it's as it's actually a risk that he is taking to save her life, a risk that could come back on him. 
because she's pregnant. And that's all the evidence needed to enforce this law. So Joseph follows the law of love over the letter of the law. And notice in this law the language of the collective community, right? This is an outrage in Israel, the evil that needs to be purged from the community. And I want us to grasp this mindset and the culture of Mary and Joseph that they find themselves in, right? The mindset that they shared in. The evidence is clear. The consequences seem imminent because a teenage girl in a Roman-occupied Israel-Palestine Middle Eastern first century culture that is engaged and found to be pregnant is a clear case of breaking this law, a clear case of outrage in Israel, a clear case of evil that needs to be purged. So even if she pleads her case and tells the truth, one, she's a woman in a culture where her words don't hold much weight. Two, she's a teenager, and we today still don't believe a word teenagers say. <laughs> and, and three, this story is unbelievable, right? And so she's facing death. And now the custom seems to have adapted under Roman law where uh, Romans reserved the right to the death penalty. And Israel wasn't legally allowed to enforce the death penalty. And so the custom was that they would basically say, you're dead to us. The family would hold a funeral and they would essentially kick her out of society, shaming her as if she were dead. And yet, in this unashamed culture, shame would still be on her family. Shame would still be on Joseph's family and the community as a whole. And yet, Mary says yes. Yes to the risk. Yes to the risk of shame. Yes to the collective shame on her and her community. Yes to the separation and seclusion. Yes to being cast out of her family and community. Yes to the incredible task of becoming the mother of God who became flesh. And Joseph, by saying yes to staying by her side, faced this same shame, this same risk. Now, in Luke's account, we see the moment when this very law comes to her mind. See, Luke includes the birth announcements from the angel Gabriel, first to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist, which we will come back to, and then Mary about the birth of Jesus. So in Luke, 20, uh, Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Right? What kind of greeting is this? Rejoice, favored woman? Women aren't favored. She's like, listen, angel, I don't know if you know how things work around here. Either you have no clue of what it's like for me in this time and this place with our customs and our laws, or you are flipping the script and you're elevating women to a higher place in a culture that treats them like property. And that's a revolutionary move. It's going to cause quite the uproar with the patriarchy. <laughs> so did I mention that within the heart of this teenage girl lies the seeds of this teenage punk rock rebellion, raise a fist, <laughs> fight the power, bring down the patriarchy, you know, the raise fist against the power structures, this little bit of revolutionary, right? I am woman, hear me roar type of attitude. Right? The, same, the same mindset that I see in my daughters, the same mindset that I see in uh, the girls in student ministry, and it scares me a little bit. <laughs> but also I raise my fist in solidarity, right? 
right, with this girl power. Uh, and, and Mary probably got this from some of the Hebrew scriptures, some of the stories of women like Miriam, who shares her name, or Deborah, or Esther, or Huldah, women who were leaders, women whose words held power in a male-dominated culture. And so Mary, this law-abiding teenage girl from the line of King David, was about to become Mary, the teenage girl, revolutionary mother of God. And Mary was deeply troubled by this greeting. But also, as we continue reading, you'll see, she was like, bring it, right? She was, she was like, let's do this. She was like, all right, bet. You guys know, you know, all right, bet, right? <laughs> like, like these are the, the teenage slang. It's probably already outdated, but when, when, when a teenager says, all right, bet, they're basically, yeah, bet that this is going to happen. Bet that this unlikely thing I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to go do something stupid that I shouldn't be doing. All right, bet. Right? Um, so maybe Mary said that. I don't know. That's just my summary of, of how she responded, my paraphrase of the Bible. Verse 30, then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? Right? This is the moment, it's Deuteronomy 22. And again, she's like, listen, angel, I don't know if you understand how things work around here. <laughs> and, and look, I just want to be clear, I'm not breaking that law. I, I, I just want to be sure, uh, because it sure is going to look like I am breaking that law to everybody else. But again, let's be clear, I'm a virgin, but the evidence that says so will be very difficult to come by, the evidence will say, no, not a virgin. Because again, angel, I'm not sure if you know how things work around here. But when a woman shows up pregnant, there's a, some assumptions about how she got that way. Right? That doesn't just happen. I may be a teenage girl, but I know how babies are made. And I know how girls get pregnant. And everyone else will assume that's how I got that way too. Which means they will assume that I broke the law in Deuteronomy 22 and that won't end well for me. Or at least that's me paraphrasing verse 34 when Mary says, How can this be since I haven't been intimate with a man? Verse 35, the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. She has conceived a son in her old age and is in the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary was like, listen, angel, I don't know if you know how things work around here. Uh, you don't refer to Elizabeth by in her old age. You don't, you don't reveal a woman's age. No, that's not, maybe that's what she was thinking. But here's how she responds in verse 38. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Or me paraphrasing it. Bring it on. Let's, let's do this. All right, bet. But also she knew the risk, right? She knew the risk of what Joseph's reaction would be to this news. The risk of the shame and the separation from her society and culture. And I want us to see that this whole birth story of Jesus, as we've said throughout Advent, begins in the dark. In the deepest part of our shame, our guilt, our fear, that's where it begins. And I need to understand this. I need to get this. I need you 
to get this, right? That it's when it's the darkest, when you can't see a way out, when your shame and guilt is piling up, or when tragedy strikes, that is when the light enters and begins lighting up the darkness. Like, we need to get that on an individual level. But also, remember for Mary, this wasn't about individuals. This was about God's work in the collective, God's work in the whole world. And so if you aren't in the deepest, darkest place, and yet you feel distance from God, this is God inviting you to join him in those dark places, right? That's good news to even those of us with privilege and position and power. God invites us to find him there in the least of these. So go to them. God is inviting you to leave a life of comfort and safety, of laws and customs that you find familiar and say, yes, like Mary, to the risk of finding God in the most unlikely places. Because in Luke's account, the, Gabriel go, uh, the angel Gabriel goes first to a priest in a temple. This is where, in this time in this culture, this is where God would show up and break the silence. This is the most likely place. But instead, we find a man, but not just any man, a priest being silenced. Right? The, Zechariah encounters this angel in the temple during his duty of going into the temple to burn incense. And Gabriel announces that Zechariah's wife will give birth to a son, and they are to name him John. And whereas Mary's first response was about how this would happen, making clear that she wasn't breaking a law in Deuteronomy 22, Zechariah's response isn't about how this would happen, but rather, give me proof that this would happen. Give me more details about this. What school do I need to enroll him in? Give me a five-year plan. But God often only gives us the next step. But Zechariah thinks he deserves more than just the next step. And it's a, it's a response that Gabriel didn't appreciate. And he's like, Zechariah, look, I don't know if you know how things work around here. <laughs> I'm an angel of the Lord standing in front of you in the temple. That's your proof. But you know, you know what, Zechariah, you're not allowed to speak anymore, right? Typical man in this patriarchal society with their male privilege, thinking that they're the most important, thinking they deserve more, thinking they can just question angels sent from God. You know what? You're silenced for the next nine months. <laughs> so you have Mary given a voice in a culture where she had no voice. She speaks, and the angel calls her highly favored. Because really the law and the custom would have been for the angel to go to Mary's husband or Mary's father to get permission, and Mary given no say in the matter. But we have Mary visited directly, Mary responding herself with her own autonomy and consent and her own decision and commitment to God's plan. And she was called a highly favored woman. And then you have Zechariah, a man, a priest, who asks for more than an angel sent by God standing right in front of him. And he ends up being silenced for the next nine months. And I hope Zechariah learned his lesson, right? As he was silent for those nine months. I hope he was silently learning and listening and watching. Because he had to witness women prophesy right in front of him in his own house while he sat there silent and listened. And hopefully... 
He saw that God was going to be elevating women in this new thing that God was doing. Hopefully, he saw Mary, the revolutionary mother of God, and not Mary, the teenage girl, property of her father or husband, guilty of breaking some law in Deuteronomy 22. Hopefully, he heard Mary speak as, he, as she talked about God turning over power structures and how God looked with favor on Mary. So here, here Mary's words, as she prophesied, right in front of Zechariah in his own house as he had to sit there silently and listen. Luke 146. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me, and, in his, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lonely. He has satisfied the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. There's that revolutionary cry from Mary, right? The raised fist against the power structures, the passionate belief that God, in this thing that God was doing, was about to bring the powerful, prideful nations and kings down and lift up the humble and the poor. And this whole story is full of God working in ways that seem to go against the way you would think God would choose to enter into the world. It goes against the law, the law given to the nation that God would choose to work through. From the law that we've discussed concerning women engaged, like Mary, found to be pregnant, to ritual and ceremonial cleanliness laws. Because the birth of God as a human baby takes place where animals were. And this God in the form of baby was placed in a manger, right? An unclean instrument for feeding unclean animals, unclean food, right? The place would be considered unclean and yet becomes a place that is holy, more holy than the temple. And the first announcement of this birth was to shepherds who would have been considered unclean. And there's some scholars that say that shepherds weren't shepherds by choice, but because they were being punished for a crime or outcast from the community for some reason. And so their job required wandering in the wilderness, taking care of sheep, protecting them, and fighting off any would-be predators. And so they'd be covered in the blood and the sweat and the manure that comes with the job. When it's said that shepherds smelled, right, the smell preceded them wherever they go. They, they knew the unclean was coming when shepherds were coming. So in the law, there's these rules about ceremonial cleanliness in order to enter God's presence. Like you can't come into contact with dead things or blood or certain animals. And there were rules about how to become clean once you were unclean. And if you didn't want to become unclean, then you stayed away from those things and the people who had become unclean like shepherds. But God doesn't seem to follow these rules. He invites shepherds in. He invites shepherds into the presence of God in the form of a baby laying in an unclean manger. God doesn't seem to follow the rules. Because an angel announces to some shepherds in Luke 2, beginning in verse 10, Don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today a Savior 
who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly cloth and lying in a feeding trough. He's inviting shepherds to come and see. And the shepherds were like, look, angel, I don't know if you know how things work around here. <laughs> but we're out here because we're bad. We're a shame to our collective culture. We stink. We're unclean. We're outcasts. And they're the first ones invited in to witness this, to enter into the presence of this moment that is unclean, and they are invited to join God in bringing this unconventional good news to the world. And so here's what hap what's happening in this moment. Everything's getting flipped upside down. No longer do we need to become clean to enter God's presence. Rather, it's God's presence that makes us clean. No longer do we need to get rid of our darkness in order to enter God's light. In Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, his light makes our darkness flee. So our concept of things that we should be ashamed of or that we hide are the very openings where God enters the story to remove the shame and the darkness. No longer is God found in the most holy place of the temple, separated from everyone. God shows up in the dark unclean places as a in a body as a baby dependent on Mary to survive God's example of humility makes my brain hurt because we as humans we grasp at power and notoriety and fame and we think God would do the same right when when kings in this time rose to power there, there were these grand ceremonies and celebrations but God does the opposite and shows up in humility and vulnerability. The first sin in the garden was humans grasping at becoming like God. And here God is becoming human. Right? We humans strive to move up. And here God is moving down. He's like, look, I don't know if you know how things work around here. <laughs> if you want to be like me, you're, gonna, you're going in the wrong direction. Follow me down into the life of humble, sacrificial, sacrificial service and love. Right? It's all upside down. Or maybe we're the ones upside down, and we've been upside down for so long that when God shows up to show us the way that is actually right side up, we see it as upside down. But God is inviting us. He's inviting the shamed outcasts back home, guilty or not, clean or unclean. God is elevating women from property to highly favored. God is silencing the ones whose position and privilege allows them to think that they deserve more. He's inviting those who feel that they don't belong to be a part of his story. He's inviting the rich, privileged, powerful into silence and a different way of power where these things are leveraged for the sake of the least of these rather than to oppress them. He's inviting us to be human, and he's showing us what that looks like in Jesus. He's making right Everything that has been made wrong in the world. And it started with Mary saying yes. And I want to close with a quote from Rachel Held Evans. She says this. She says, I am, a more, I am more aware than ever of the startling and profound reality that I am a Christian not because of anything I've done, but because a teenage girl living in occupied Palestine at one of the most dangerous moments in history said yes. Yes to God. Yes to a call she could not possibly understand. Yes to vulnerability in the face of societal judgment. She goes on to say that God 
trusted God's very self totally and completely in full bodily form to the care of a woman. Before Jesus fed us with the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, Jesus himself needed to be fed by a woman. He needed a woman to say, this is my body given for you. And he's inviting us to risk everything, to follow this God who became human, born to this teenage punk rock revolutionary girl, a baby that was born where animals would be. God placed in a feeding trough in the darkness of night that would become the light of the world, savior of the world, offering this new way, a new kingdom, a new humanity. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.